Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Secret Birds HQ podcast. And this is podcast episode number 80. And today we are joined by Miss Sandra Garcia Lowry. Hello, Sandra. Hello, I'm so excited to be speaking with you. I know, and I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. And Sandra is based in New York City. Yes, I'm in the Big Apple. In the Big Apple. So Sandra is a sales and marketing strategist and creative with over 11 years of experience working at organizations such as Claire Channel Outdoor, Time Warner Cable Media, People, People Style Watch, CNN Money, Money Magazine, and Fortune Magazine, where she's been developing marketing strategies and compelling sales programs. She's strategized for brands such as Toyota, L'Oreal, Alme, Estee Lauder, Snapchat. Snapchat, remember them? Do people still use Snapchat? Um, <laughs> Apple, Verizon, Wireless, Sephora, Pepsi, and American Express, just to name a few. She's now the founder of her own company called Encounter Marketing and Public Relations, EMPR, where she develops and executes strategies to elevate the presence of small to mid-sized businesses and nonprofits. Sandra has led marketing teams at Clear Channel Outdoor and at Time Warner Cable Media, developing strategic marketing programs that merchandise data-driven products for use by sales to grow revenue. In her product marketing and digiting role at Time Warner Cable Media, she implemented digital strategies and go-to market plans that differentiated the brand from the competition as a product marketing expert for all digital products online, mobile, social, search addressable, and video on demand. She also spent time at people.com and cnnmoney.com, the financial website for CNN, and the online destination for Fortune Magazine and Money Magazine. For four years, she's managed her own event planning company, Posh Agency LLC. In 2012, she launched afrolatinabeauty.com, an online destination for stories of Afro-Latinas sharing the same intercultural, intercultural experience. And as a speaker, she's spoken and moderated discussions at Google, Microsoft, BuzzFeed, General, General Assembly, Young and Rubicam, and at institutions including NYU, Pace University, Dickinson College, Baruch um, College, and Howard University, to name a few. She is currently the NYC chapter president of the National Association of Multi-Ethnicity in Communications and sits on the board of the Digital Diversity Network and America Needs You. Sandra was a Forbes 30 Under 30 2016 nominee and was awarded by Latino Leaders Magazine as a top 25 future Latino leader. Wow. That's a oh lot. Oh my God. My I did not realize my bio was that long. <laughs> Listen, every, every woman that I interview on this podcast has got like this long, extensive bio and I'm reading it and I'm just like, wow, women are just, yeah. every, women oh are just bosses at everything. We're just bosses in everything that we do. It's we amazing. are running the world. Okay. <laughs> And I'm loving all of it. Yes, but it's so, it's so nice to have you on, Sandra. So Sandra is going to talk to us today about transitioning from the corporate world, which obviously she's got a lot of experience in, to being an entrepreneur. So before we jump into that topic, Sandra, tell us a little bit about 
who you are. I know you're an Afro-Latina. Tell us about where you come from and, and how you arrived at where you are today doing what you're doing now. Yes. Uh, so first, thank you so much for finding me worthy to speak to you and oh, to also on. share. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> um, and then also just to be able to share myself um, with your audience. And, you know, I, I've loved meeting and connecting with you. Uh, you're all the way in China. I think this is amazing that, you know, women are able to connect with one another no matter where in the world we are. It's a beautiful thing. So thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so a little bit about myself. So I am in New York City. I'm a New York City girl, but I'm a New York City girl by way of Honduras, Central America. So I was born in Honduras and I started my my schooling life there. I my first language was Spanish, which a lot of people are shocked about. Mm -hmm. So that's usually a fun fact about me that I learned to speak Spanish before I learned to speak English. Mm -hmm. Then I moved to the United States at four because that is when it was time for school. Mm -hmm. So um, I was a U.S. citizen born abroad. So that's pretty cool because I tell folks that if I ever get in trouble with the law, then I'm probably escaping to, to Honduras okay. because I have dual <laughs> citizenship. <laughs> Exactly. So maybe I shouldn't uh, broadcast that because then you can find me. But either way, that's where I'll be. <laughs> in Honduras. Look in for Honduras. her in Honduras. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yes, I, I moved to New York and that is where this journey of mine, I feel like, really started to fold. Uh, you know, living between cultures, which then inspired for me as an adult to start my uh, my blog, which we can talk a little bit about, so AfroLatinaBeauty.com. And um, as well as just all of the things that I realize that I love now as an adult. So another fun fact, I ran track for many years. Mm. I have a love for running. It's my de-stressor. Mm. It's, um, I work really long hours and for a long time I would, I spent time in really high stress environments. Mm. So running was my go-to for stress relief to go out there hit the and i run outside i love running outside and i love running the streets of new york city mm. so i say i would go out there and hit the pavement and whatever the day brought my way i would just run it out sweat it out if i needed to cry it out cry oh, it God, out yeah oh yeah oh yeah i think a lot of people can relate to that a lot of women Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So sure. working out to stay in shape, but then to also stay sane. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so that's a fun fact. Uh, so I, I ran long distance. And then from there, I ran uh, track and field in high school. And then my first year in college as a sprinter. And uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, so I once, uh, so now I'm just going to fast forward a little bit to my college experience. Cool. So although a New Yorker, I went to school in Pennsylvania. So I went to Dickinson College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, very small school mm. and going from New York, huge culture shock. Because New York is very diverse, you you get a little bit of everything. Uh, people, I think, in New York, a little bit more open-minded and a little bit more aware of culture. I yeah. went to a very small school where all of a sudden, it's just you're this or you're that, you're black or you're white, and that is all. Oh God! Oh God! <laughs> and I'm sure so, they probably they probably didn't know what to do with you. Like, 
wait a minute, why does she have a Spanish surname and she looks black? Right. What what do we do with her? (laughs) Right. I called myself walking confusion. (laughs) Oh, God. But at the same time, I love it because it's a conversation starter. So I use it to educate people and I use it to inform people about just, you know, the differences in culture and the variety of just shape, sizes, and cultural makeup that we come in. Right. So I took my like insecurities uh, because, you know, it did make me insecure for a long time that people were constantly asking me about like myself and why I look like this, but I speak Spanish or why is that my last name? Am I adopted? Like I got all kinds of questions, but I took all of that, all the insecurities and, you know, all the things that kind of annoyed me and created a platform for education. And it was really in college that I learned a lot about myself, including what I would potentially want to spend, you know, my life doing from a career and professional standpoint, as Mm -hmm. well as growing comfortable into myself as a woman, as a Latina, as a Black Latina. So college was a really important time for me. So Mm -hmm. I I went in thinking that I was going to go to medical school and I was going to be um, a neurologist. Um, Oh, wow. That's quite a shift from what you're doing now. Yeah, that a complete shift. (laughs) I was pre-med neuroscience. What was I thinking? (laughs) And uh, I I hated chemistry. I loved science in high school. And in high school, we had different houses. So I was in the medical house in high school. And so I took all these like advanced placement, you know, classes and I really loved it. But in college it was very different. Mm -hmm. And I realized then, you know, I don't know that I can really spend too many more years doing any of this. I'm doing it more so because one, I'm a good student and I can learn anything. And Mm -hmm. also it was my parents' dream for me to be a doctor, but Mm -hmm. that's not really what moved me. And that's not something that I really wanted to do. But I spent a lot of my time consuming media. So I was always on people.com and always, you know, getting together with my girl groups and watching trashy TV. (laughs) So I realized, you know what, I have a love for for, uh, pop culture and for media. So maybe I should be exploring that because that's what I'm spending my time doing anyway. Right, right. So I did a, I um, secured a full-time internship in DC. I spent a semester off campus. Uh, I did, I took classes at George Mason and I know that you went to American. So um, we have that DMV area commonality now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So I I interned at a full-time public relations, uh, um, a full-service public relations and event planning firm there, which was my initial exposure to to PR and to also working with media outlets. So although I myself wasn't at a media outlet, we were constantly pitching to media outlets. And I really kind of became curious about what that life was like on the other side. Mm. And so I applied for an internship at uh, at Viacom. Uh, well, at the time it was MTV well, Networks. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, did you have a question? No, I just I'm nodding no. like Viacom. I remember them. I remember Viacom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. So uh, one of my former classmates from Dickinson had started working at VH1 as a producer. So she helped me, recommended me for an internship. So I landed a summer internship at VH1. And that is when everything changed. That I fell in love. It was my first time being in a big building in New York City because their offices are in Times Square. And I was like, this is going to be my life. Oh, wow. uh, I want to work for a big and media company. And you knew it. Is that when you knew it? That's when you knew this is That's amazing. when it hit me. Yes. And I like I'm very, you know, aspirational, I like to say at times. So there I worked for two women there and they the there were two black women leading the department that till this day I call my media mamas and I connect with them periodically. And um the the woman running the department, uh Tracy McGraw, she um was leading the, the press team at BH one. Now she's at BET, but I just watched her just, you know, operate and leading a team and I was in awe. I wanted to be the two women, her and another woman, Tony Heron. Um, I was just very, like, I, I admired everything that they were doing. And I loved and appreciate the opportunities that they gave me. And I worked hard. Like, I worked hard because I saw, you know, what they were pouring into me. So I wanted to then prove that I could, or make them even look good also, because I felt like they were investing time in me. So anyway, that was my summer internship and I used that summer to network throughout that building. So I networked with other interns, I networked with people at other departments. And so I started to then, I traveled back to New York once I went back to college for my senior year, maybe twice, maybe two to three times that year to help the same department that I interned for, um, work red carpets for, it was VH1 honors and then, um, VH1 divas. So I was not getting paid for this, but I brought myself back to New York, uh, on the bus so I can work these opportunities because for me, forming these relationships were really important and making sure that I was present for things were important. So this was a four to maybe six hour trip, depending on traffic. Um, mm but it was so worth it. And then, um, being aggressive, once I was back in New York for winter break, I remember that I had applied for an internship at Bravo and I did not get the internship, but I had the contact information for, uh, the manager there for the intern manager. So I emailed her and I said, Hey, I'm going to be in New York for winter break for two to three weeks. Can I shadow you during this time? And mm -hmm. We probably should have gone through more formal procedures and a more formal process, but mm. she said yes. <laughs> mm. So um, I ended up being at Bravo uh, during winter break, just shadowing the press team there. And that all of this because I realized I needed to pad my resume because my resume was speaking to me, you know, going into uh, science. Like I had interned at Mount Sinai, so I had to change things up drastically by the time I hit my junior year. Mm. So that was, that was good. And I was able to put two big name brand companies on my resume in addition to the PR firm. So by the time I graduated, I got hired 
pretty immediately at Time Warner. And uh, not because I had any kind of experience in sales, because uh, that's what I start, That's what I did at my first job. But I remember during my interview, uh, my hiring manager, he said, so I see you've done press. That means you're comfortable being around celebrities. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, yeah. And he was like, okay, well, in this job, you need to be comfortable being around senior management and senior leaders uh, because this office is very top heavy. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable talking to pretty much anybody. Right. Um, you know, without the intimidation of, oh, this person is like, you know, the CEO of the, of the company. Right. Uh, so, yeah. And just that, like, transferable skills. I, I, was, I was hired for a sales job. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea what I got hired for. So mm. I called my hiring manager at the time, my career angel, because he helped me not only hire me to my, into my first full-time job, but then um, as there were, the, the industry was transitioning in 2008, um, you know, with all of the things that were happening with the banks and the market, he helped save me and helped place me into another job without me even knowing that my role was being eliminated. So... Mm-hmm just the art of like, I think relationship building, I feel like it's something that I learned really early on in terms of helping me in my career in media. But um, to fast forward a little bit um, from Time Warner, I realized, you know, the, the world was moving into a digital direction. And so to be competitive, I also needed to learn digital and be digitally savvy. So I then moved and made a transition to CNNMoney.com into a digital sales role. And there I worked with um, a lot of financial institutions and insurance companies and high-end retailers as clients because they were the ones looking to reach our CNN money audience. And then at that job, I realized, you know what, I think I like marketing and the marketing side of things better than sales and um, keeping in touch with the recruiters who brought me um, into CNN Money. I touched base with her after a year and I said, hey, this is where I am and this is what I feel like I want to do. And she helped place me into a role at people.com, which was just three floors up. Okay. And that was my favorite job to date. Loved Mm. it, loved it, loved everything at People. And it was full circle for me because it was me spending time on people.com in college that helped me realize maybe I should go into media and maybe I should, you know, go into a career path um, and do something in which I spend most of my time. So it was very full circle for me to be there. And I loved my time there. I I worked on the fashion beauty categories. I worked on big projects around red carpet season on temple events, like, um, uh, sexiest woman alive, um, most beautiful. So I, it was really fun. It was a lot of hard work. The people there worked really hard. They were really innovative, but no one left because everyone also loved their jobs. <laughs> right. so, so that would make it difficult time, for you to, to move up, to transition. Exactly. Up. Exactly. So I, I noticed, you know, and I don't know if it's still like this now, but you know, some of the women never left. They would settle there. They would, you know, get married, have kids. And for me at the time, I I met my husband, my now husband, while I was at that job. Mm -hmm. But I was very hungry. I wanted to make more money. I wanted to grow in title. So Mm -hmm. I 
um, the art of networking. Once again, I was supposed to be having lunch with, um, with one of my former coworkers from Time Warner. And he shared that he was hiring for a position at uh, Time Warner. They were creating a digital marketing and product marketing team. Would I be interested in coming back? And I had never really thought about that. But you know, life led me back to Time Warner. So I was there for another three years. I was part of a new team, a new product marketing team. It was an amazing three years of growth professionally for me. Um, and then just in terms of, you know, jumping and making transitions, like my salary was almost doubled just by making that move from wow. one company to another and into a more senior title. Um, so that was great. Uh, during at Time Warner, uh, as I was growing myself, I also, you know, was very serious about also growing my personal life. So I was very focused on nurturing my relationship. Then I got engaged while I was there. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, so life happened personally and professionally. And then, um, I made a move after three years. I got recruited to Clear Channel Outdoor. And I, I, before I made that move, I got married. I started a job, all of that in a month. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, yes. I was like, well, I'm getting married and I'm going to have a new husband, new last name. Might as well start a new job. <laughs> mm, I like that. All at one time. I like that. I like that. Uh, so I, I was at Clear Channel for a total of about a year and a half. And it was there that I definitely was feeling the itch to just go out and do my own thing. And uh, I decided uh, after a year that I was going to leave and work for myself full time. I'd started a company five years prior and I was working on projects here and there on a part time basis. Um, but after being appointed president to uh, an organization that I lead up here in New York, NAMIC, which stands for the National Association for Multi-Ethnicities and Communication, right. and being able to build a team, I went from a team of about three to now we're about 15 strong. Mm. And so being able to, you know, turn the organization around a little bit from being a bit dormant to having consistent programming for our membership base, which also grew um, by about 300 members to now being shy of a thousand and depending on the month over a thousand members. Mm -hmm. I, I was encouraged to just do it for myself because mm -hmm. I did that for a national organization, for the largest chapter of an organization, while working full time because I was passionate about it and I felt like it gave me purpose. So I was inspired to just do it for me as well. And I was also starting to feel like corporate life was starting to drag me down a little bit just because I wasn't able to just be as creative as I wanted to be, or I wasn't able to work on the things that I wanted to work on. I was working on what was needed to be worked on mm. and not so much on what I, I liked or things that I enjoyed. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I made that move and now it's been a few months, less mm -hmm. than a year mm -hmm. since I've been on my own. And when people ask like, how's it going? Like the first thing that I say is that I feel free. No oh God, I can and imagine. 
Yeah. Yes. It's, it's so liberating to be able to create your own life and to create your own schedule and to be able to pick and choose how it is that you even want to make money. And Mm. yes, it's a lot of work. It's very stressful. There are different pressures, but it's very liberating. And I feel like it's very possible and very doable, but it's just scary. And I think that comfort of that, you know, paycheck every two weeks, sometimes keeps us at jobs and in situations that are sometimes not always making us the happiest. Right. So th- tell me again, is it, it's just been a few months for you since you've started your own business? How long has it been? Yeah. So it's only been a few months since I've been working for myself full time. Okay. I've had the company for five years now. Right. And okay. from time okay. to time, I would use the company umbrella to work on different projects. Got but it. yes, it's only been five months since and I've been on my own. And you're, you're like full time working for it now. Right. At your yep. Own. Well, congratulations, mm-hmm. first of all. That's that's big. Thank you. I think, Thank you. I, I think people, unless you've done it yourself, I think a lot of people underestimate how difficult it's not difficult to do it um, just in terms of the, the technical stuff. That's fine. You get a lawyer, solicitor, whatever you set up your company, you get an accountant, that's the easy bit. But the emotional bit and the mental bit. Uh, that's really difficult. So can you speak to that a little? I mean, I know, okay, maybe let's backtrack a bit. You said you were starting to feel, is it the word, I don't know if you said drained or let down or, right. or pulled back mm-hmm. but in the corporate world. What, what, where, where was that coming from? What were those feelings? Was it sort of the typical, mm-hmm. you were passed up for a promotion or you weren't allowed to be creative? Because that's usually the stuff that we, that we know that mm-hmm. happens, right? Yeah, well, there was a lot of emotional disappointment. I feel like I was, I had a co-worker who I just did not get along with. And it was just emotionally draining having to deal with the personality mm. uh, in addition to, you know, managing uh, two people uh, that reported into the both of us when we had very different management styles that was very draining. Um, so yeah, so the people politics was definitely something that I was completely over. Um, but you know, that, I think that was very situational because prior to that, uh, like my time Warner family, the two times that I was there, I love, loved the people that I worked with. And Mm -hmm. those people were at my wedding, like, you know, one of my coworkers to this day, uh, I used to call her my work wife because, Mm -hmm. She was that person that I would go to work and, you know, we could talk about work and, you know, the things that were draining us at work, but then we could talk about life. And when you spend so much of your day and so much of your time at work, it's important to be able to have a support system. And I felt like at this new job, I didn't have that support system. Mm. Um, and in fact, it was draining in addition to not having that support system. And I also feel like the company culture was not where I needed it to be for me, especially being so conscious and aware and, you know, being kind of like a walking advocate diversity in the media space. I didn't feel like the company matched everything that I was standing for and it wasn't aligned anymore. So it wasn't a purposeful and it wasn't a a fit for me anymore. And I feel Um, like, I feel, I I mm -hmm. just really quickly because I want to make this point. I feel like every, 
okay, every woman perhaps has has this thought of okay, I w- if she's really ambitious that she wants to get out of the corporate space. But I think mm-hmm. um, every woman of color more so, if she's conscious of her color and her culture, at some point she knows that the corporate world is perhaps not always going to be working in her best interests. You know what I mean? Because the corporate yes. world was, mm-hmm. not, it was not established by women. It was established by men, by white men. Mm-hmm. And it, was a, yeah. it, it didn't include maybe white women, yes, but not women of color. And I think as women of color, we often feel a bit like, is this really for me? Is this the, like, you just know deep down mm-hmm. inside, like, you know, and I know mm-hmm. like for myself, when I worked in the corporate space, I always had this little naggly feeling in the back of my head, like, I'm never going to make it to the top. I'm never going to make it to mm-hmm. the top. And if I get there, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to get cancer and heart disease in the process. Because that's, <laughs> no, because that's how hard I'm going to yes. have to fight to get to the top. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was such an unhealthy situation for me. I was gaining weight because of the stress. I wasn't balancing my life properly. I wasn't working out. Mm -hmm. It was just mentally draining and also at a very busy time in my life and at a very transitional time in my life because I was a newlywed figuring out what marriage meant and what being a wife meant to me. I'm Mm -hmm. now the president of this organization and socially responsible for a thousand people but then work is not really working for me because it's being it's draining Mm. and although it's you know my paycheck every two weeks it wasn't even worth the paycheck every two weeks anymore no no yeah because Mm -hmm. it's it's soul destroying isn't it it's soul destroying after a while i think (laughs) when you you read no seriously because you're like Mm-hmm. Okay, at some point you, you get the promotions, you're getting the money and you feel empty and you're like, okay, so what's the point? Is this really what mm-hmm. I want? And I think you start asking yourself a series of questions. And, and at that point, I believe like that's when you said it was becoming draining. I think that's when you, you really have to feel that pull before you make the leap. I think if you never get to that point where you're feeling the pull and the drain or you never allow yourself to, you just stay in that role and you stay in that job. And I think mm-hmm. so many women are just tired of that and that's when they go start their own business or they want to have a family and they realize okay I can't do it in here so they go start a business and then they you know whatever women do it in different ways but I feel like you gotta have that you gotta have that deep I don't know something's got to push you whether it's your boss whether it's you know you you got you got you're getting bullied there's always something isn't there you know there absolutely is and and that was a part of it also I I, to me, when I was, you know, going through the wedding process, if you would have asked me two years ago, I would say I'm getting pregnant on the honeymoon. (laughs) That was my response. And then reality was like, no, you are not girlfriend. Like that is not happening because you're not having kids here. And Mm. I knew that very fast. I was like, this is not a long-term stay. Uh, There, it's not even, I personally felt like it wasn't a supportive company in terms of being a mom at work. So I couldn't have kids. I couldn't see myself having children there and Mm. feeling like I would be supportive or have the flexibility to, you know, manage my schedule where it would be, where it would work best for me to manage family life and work life because that's important for me. 
Mm-hmm. So me knowing that, I already knew that in a year I would be gone. I had a one-year contract because I signed a sign-on bonus and you know that money was spent on the wedding. So I'm going to pay it back. So I, I knew that I was going to be there for a year. And when I was hitting that one-year mark, I was starting to interview. I was exploring other options because I felt like I needed to be at a place that was going to be supportive of me being a working woman and a, and a working mom because it's something that I want to have and something that's important to me to build a family. Yeah. Um, but also without letting go of me and I wasn't finding a company like, yes, people are like, well, you're so connected. Like, you know, people everywhere, but I wasn't finding a fit. I think that would allow me to be the person, like my creative self mm-hmm. and do a lot of the things that I love to do. And then also feel like, a place where I could potentially build a family. Mm. Uh, And so there were a lot of things that led to my decision to ultimately leave and even the planning uh, to leave and and to branch off on my own. But yeah, I I definitely didn't see myself growing there. It wasn't a place where I even wanted to have my boss's job. There was no one there, job I wanted. Yeah. Um, I think that's important. Um, for women, I always say that, you know, I, I remember coming out of college and people, you know, talking about, you know, women who had to pick between this and that. And I've always consciously said to myself, I never want to pick this or that. I want to be able to have the things that I want and be able to manage it all. So I want to I want a husband, I want a family, I want all these things and I'm going to make it possible. I don't want to sacrifice a career for a family and I don't want to sacrifice a family for a career. I want to make it all work. And when I saw that the stars weren't aligned for me, it was time for me to go. Yeah. Or like you look at the top and you realize, okay, what do I have to to do to get up there? That's one thing. And then number two, is there anybody up there, like you said, that I want to emulate? And you, and you realize, well, no, there's nobody there that I want to emulate. So why am I even doing mm-hmm. this? You know, because I think sometimes in these really big companies, there's a lack of integrity at the top. And mm-hmm. you, you, it's very easy to get caught up in that life. And then you become those people, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, you, yeah. you lose yourself. Mm-hmm. You lose yourself in the in the mix of becoming this like corporate woman. And I've seen a lot of women go into the corporate space and become really hard in that process of getting to the top. Have you seen that as well? I've definitely seen that as well. Um, but I would have to also say that it's not like that at every company because right, right, and right, this right. me being you know candid I almost felt like I made a mistake by making my last move. So mm-hmm. it was, uh, it was a, a better money opportunity, mm-hmm. but I almost feel like the money opportunity wasn't worth it. So right. if right. I, I probably would have stayed at Time Warner. I probably mm-hmm. would have, well, they had already merged with, uh, with Charter, but I probably would have stayed. It would have been a much better situation for me as a woman and me as a woman wanting to become a mother. Um, Mm -hmm. 
like my boss, my VP there was a female. Um, the former CEO was a female. So yeah. you could just see how she was running her organization. Little things like summer Fridays, you know, flexible scheduling. Like I feel like those are things that are important and not just important for women, but I think it's also important for men. Oh God, yeah. For, of course. For men in the workforce to be able yeah. to support those things and also for men who are working dads to also be conscious of things that are important for family because summer Fridays do not just mean a lot for a mom, but they mm -hmm. can also mean a lot for a dad because it should be shared responsibilities to be a parent. Um, but yes, so I could, I could have saw myself building there, but at the time I was conscious again of like growth in terms of title, in terms of money. But if I could go back, I probably would not have made that move. Wow. But you know, in, it's good to have hindsight, you know, hindsight is a gift to, to be able to reflect on that and, and say, you know what, I probably shouldn't have done that, you know, because I think, I think when you're, when you're in that space and like you just said, um, you wanted to make more money, you wanted to progress. And it was just like, I took this move. And I think a lot of us, I did that as well too. I think it's kind of like we're chasing the money, but then you mm -hmm. get the money and you realize, Oh, mm. I don't know if, if this is really what I wanted. And then some, right. And then you can't go back, but I think that's the hunger in you. And, but that's all of, all, all of a part of the learning, right? That you, mm -hmm. if you, if you chase the money, that's not necessarily where the happiness is. And yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's Oprah who said, chase the passion and the money will come. And it sounds very cliche, but when you, when you've actually chased money, you realize she's right. Like you're, you're not going to get that happiness just from chasing the money. There's got to be some, something deeper there. There's got to be something mm -hmm. else because the money just isn't enough. You know, after a while, yeah. after a while you realize, okay, there's nothing else here. You know, it sure enough isn't. And I, I strongly believe everything happens for a reason and nothing before it's time. Yeah. So I think that I had to personally learn that lesson by going through that experience and going through that process. For but sure. I think it was all t intentional because I also would have not been led, I think, to entrepreneurship right now mm. if it wasn't for things happening and unfolding the way that they did. So Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, everything for a reason and nothing before it's time. Yes, yes, I love that. That's really good advice. So can you talk to us now about the transition itself? Like just the practical things. How 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 did that transition look for you and what did you do and kind of how long did it take? It sounds like it took about 5 years to transition full mm -hmm. full on, right? Into yeah, it took yeah. 5 years I think for me to build up the courage and the confidence yeah. to to step out and to do it. Yeah. Um Comfort, comfort and security um, can keep us in relationships, whatever that relationship may be, even with a job, for sometimes longer than needed. Uh, so once I really did feel or make that decision to myself that I was going to leave, <clears throat> Um, because I was starting or operating a marketing business, I felt like it was important for me to be able to present myself well. So I, I worked on my own marketing material, my own marketing presentation, my own marketing one sheets so that I can begin to pitch. And that was one thing that I didn't realize would take so much time. <clears throat> Just like creating the material, because once I even like, 
once I was actively uh, pitching myself to people, the amount of time that it takes to create a pitch deck or mm-hmm. a pitch presentation you don't have anything. It can take forever. And my, because my husband is an entrepreneur also, like he, you know, kind of guided me here and there. And he would say, be mindful of the amount of time that you're spending on putting together a presentation because not everyone that you pitch to is going to become a client. So you don't mm. want to spend, you know, half a day working on a presentation to present for 30 minutes and they don't even come through. So I started to create templates, and that's one of the things that's been working for me so far is creating templates for everything that are easily customizable and that allow me to be more efficient in all of the things that I do. So templates for uh, for documents that I need in order to go out there and to get new business. But then once you get the new business, like what does that process look like as well? What is your intake process? So creating templates and processes for everything, I feel like that's been my last few months because Mm. all in all, I want for there to be efficiency because I don't want to spend too much time doing one thing, like for example, working on client work, but then not being able to get new clients. And what if like I have three great clients, but then all three decide that they no longer need my services. I need to constantly be uh, building the business from a business development standpoint as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Another thing that I feel like took me some time to figure out is just what my day looks like. So for a long time, if you're working under someone else's organizational structure, you get up and you get to work. And while you're at work from nine o'clock to whatever time, whether six o'clock, you're working on certain things, you're at work. But once you're working for yourself, time becomes a little bit foggy. Um, especially if you're working like from home. So we have a home office. So it's easy for me to wake up, sit at the desk. And before you know it, it's seven o'clock and my husband's like, what's for dinner? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, what does, so I needed to create, um, you know, processes and systems. So what, um, I had lunch with my former CMO recently and good advice that he gave me was, Uh, When he was a consultant, he spent the morning, he would wake up, um, you know, he would spend the morning working on client work. Okay. And then he would spend uh, afternoon hours or midday on uh, clients he had been prospecting or clients he's trying to close. And then the later half of the day on business development. So going after a new client or doing whatever you need to do to make sure that you're also marketing yourself as a business to get new clients. So that was kind of like his approach. And I kind of um, took some of that and applied it to what my schedule is. I know other people who start off their days by working out first and doing everything that they need to do for themselves. Uh, Like Damon John, I heard him speak recently and he said the first thing he does in the morning is... um, anything that he needs to do for himself. So he's only sending out emails. He's only uh, doing things that move the needle for him. And then he spends the later half of the day then working on things for other people. Mm. Um, Because that's that's another thing too that you need to find the balance for. It's like how much client work are you doing or how much work are you doing for other people versus how much are you doing for yourself? And I found myself 
myself even because I'm still involved with my nonprofits. You know, I, you know, I have a love and a passion for a lot of things, like being mindful of how much time I'm giving to things that are not, you know, giving back or mm-hmm. even paying the bills or putting food on the table versus, you know, things that I'm actively doing that are going to lead to new business or are going to elevate um, or, you know, push whatever business I have forward. Yeah. And that's, that's the next question I was going to ask. How did you balance working in the company and creating Mm -hmm. your own company? Because Mm -hmm. at some point, as we all know, you have to make the leap because you have to put your all into your own business. But how did you balance working in, in, in the company full-time during the day until in the evening or whatever, and then balancing that with coming home in the evening and then working on your business, you know, the nine to five, mm-hmm. five to nine thing. How, what was that like for you? How did you manage yeah. that? Well, um, <laughs> because I was, not, I was not that like, um, I guess passionate about the work that I was doing at yeah. work. Mm-hmm. Um, I became super efficient with the work that I had to do. And I wasn't that person raising my hand for more work because that's not what I wanted to do. So I did enough, uh, to be able to do my job, but I wasn't that like eager, you know, aggressive, uh, you know, person that you mm-hmm. need to be if you're trying to get promoted and you're exactly. trying to get, you know, you're trying to stay there. So I had a lot of time. Well, let me not say a lot of time, but I would take breaks during the day to take phone calls. Um, it's a digital world. So I'm still able to reply to emails and do certain things during the day while I'm at work. And I call myself a master multitasker. Like I do a lot of things at the same time. So I could be sitting in a meeting and like sending out emails, doing this, doing that. And also creating a team, I think helps in terms of delegation. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I have two girls who are working with me right now, one as an intern, one as an assistant, but if there are little things here and there that I can't get to, or going to take me, you know, or it's going to take time that I could pass it on, I will delegate it over. And that's mm. something that I had to learn to do also because, you know, it's your vision, but at the same time, you can always have someone else get something started and then finish it up. So that's kind of like what my process is. If I need to work on something and I need to get it done maybe by the end of the week, but I'm really tight on time, I'll have one of them get it started and then I'll finish it. But yeah, while I was working, it was definitely juggling a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, you make time for what it is that you want. So Mm -hmm. whether, you know, I wasn't sleeping a lot, I'm a natural night owl. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah, I I would stay up and work on things. My husband works really long hours as well. So it's not like he was waiting for me to be home at a certain time to have dinner ready. Uh, So I had time. I always have time to be able to just do the work. And then, you know, our time together is usually late night and on the weekends. Mm, Right. And I like what you said, you, you, you're a night owl, but 
which mm-hmm. which is good. I mean it's good to know like whether you're one of those people that that you you have most of your energy in the morning or in the evening for me it's in the morning but I think when you are ha- when you have a full-time job and you're trying to build a business you become a night owl whether you like it or not because you've got to find that energy when you get home from work the easiest thing to do is take a shower and go to bed right mm-hmm. <laughs> but you've got to find that energy to continue working because you just keep working and it's it's a lot of working it's a lot of hours isn't it Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And you know what? Honestly, I've never been one of those people that could just go to work and come home. Like for yeah. me that even as soon as I was out of college, I was very much a busybody where I would like go to all these networking events. I would find an organization to be a part of because work was not enough for me to be fulfilled by. So I've yeah. always, and even in college and, you know, before college, like my parents always kept me busy. So I always had after school activities, I always had clubs. So it's always been, I think, a part of me to be busy and to have more than what your primary job is. When you're a student, your job is to be a student. But when you're working, your job is to do whatever that job is. But for me, I still needed to do things that fed me as a person mm. so what was feeding me at the time was building this business as well as running the nonprofit, right. and that's what I needed for me to feel like I was doing something for me as well as doing something for the company that I worked for during the day yeah and what about the fear factor so how did you overcome the fear how did you oh. mitigate how did you mitigate the fear I mean yeah. fear is definitely a product of I think there are two mm-hmm. things, uncertainty and inflexibility. Because I think mm-hmm. an, an entrepreneurial mindset is very much a mindset that's adaptable, flexible, and has to get used to uncertainty. And that fear comes from not being used to those things, right? So how, right. how did you mitigate all of that? Obviously, you did very well because you transitioned well, but how did you, how, what did you do to get over that? Oh, my God. The fear is so real hashtag hashtag real (laughs) the fear is real yes 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 and it's fear of the unknown it's fear of what's to come it's fear of how you will do it's the fear of failure it's fear of like all of those things it's fear of like being broke Can't can't pay your bills, have to move back home with your parents. Oh, dear. Yeah. You know what? Funny enough, I, um, okay, so I'll share that and then I'll say something else that like really annoyed me during that process as well. Of course. Um, But I said, hey, if I go out and do this and this is not for me and I cannot figure it out, I can always get a job. I don't need to have the job that I have and even now it's changed my perspective. Like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if I were to even go back to corporate, I don't even care about the titles anymore. I don't care. I don't care. I mean, yes, I care about compensation, but maybe I won't be as like aggressive about it in terms of like making sure I'm, you know, only getting paid this much. Yes. I want to be paid what I'm worth and all of those things, but it's not that I would be chasing that because I found myself chasing the promotions and chasing the, the titles more so than I was even focused on the job that I was doing. Mm. So yeah, I yeah. said, if I fail, I can always go back and get a job. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah. Um, 
So in the meantime, let me figure this thing out. And then also in terms of like the money thing, because I know that's something that are, are that people um, that hold a lot of people back from going into entrepreneurship is that yes, you're an entrepreneur. And even if you have to get a part-time job or two part-time jobs and do your get the side hustle to your main hustle which is you being an entrepreneur that's okay that doesn't make you any less of an entrepreneur yeah. so that's one of the best advices that i've gotten it's like if you need something to supplement your income and you need something steady go get like a, a part-time job and right. do that to help you give you the peace of mind so you can be better focused at doing what it is that you love to do because peace of mind it's a lot it goes a long way yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, my parents live in New York. Uh, so I, I, I told my husband, I was like, listen, if I go broke and I make us broke, we can, oh, we have some place we could always go. Like his parents <laughs> have a place here. My parents are here. Yeah. You know, so I was like, we'll never be homeless. Um, but, you know, I, I have a great support system and he does not support me. And one of, I was going to say one of the pet peeves and one of the things that annoyed me so much about making that leap, mm-hmm. especially at work, because when you make the announcement that you're leaving or people mm-hmm. start to find out that you're leaving, people, like, people ask, they're like, oh, where are you going? Of course, of and course. And then, response and then you like, got to decide, am I going to tell them the truth or am I going to make up a lie? <laughs> right. So I, I was very proud to say nowhere. <laughs> I, I was like, nowhere. I'm starting, you know, I'm work for myself. Right. And, you know, of course, people are like, huh? Like, how are you going to do that? Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, I wasn't, you're like, watch me do it. <laughs> watch me. Yes. But also the one thing that as a woman you mm-hmm. get, um, and because I'm married, people are like, oh, well, thank God you have a husband or good thing you have a husband. As if like I was making the decision to leave the workforce because I have someone who I can like depend on and fall back on. Like, yes, he's not going to let me be broke. And yes, he's not going to watch me, you know, struggle. But at the same time, I was making the decision for me because something that I wanted to do and not because of, Oh, I'm married and I have someone who can like support, support you. Me. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. The reality is that I'm working harder than I've ever worked before. And that conversation, even with my husband, when I made a decision, I was like, listen, AJ, you've heard me complain about this situation. And, you know, I finally reached that point, but by no means necessary. Am I looking for you to take care of me? My makeup is not even to be a housewife. I really want to just have the opportunity to, you know, work for me and give myself all that I have Mm -hmm. and see if I can do it. And he was very supportive of that, supportive of that. But I definitely feel like that's something that as women that, a man isn't going to be asked or or a man isn't going to receive the compliment like oh thank god you have a wife you can do that (laughs) yeah and I think also when you've got a husband and you're transitioning from corporate world to running your own business I think people just assume oh well she can do that because at least she's got her husband to support Mm -hmm. her in during that transition but and and that may be true in some instances, but in other instances, it may not be true because your husband's thinking, well, okay, here we we're uh, we're losing an income. How are we going to pay mm-hmm. the bills? Maybe he may not be the breadwinner. Maybe you're the breadwinner, mm-hmm. 
or you know there's yeah. all these different things you have to consider so it's not always oh she can transition because she's got her husband uh-uh, mm-hmm. not not always and you're right you know no man's ever going to be asked oh well at least you've got your wife no one ever thinks that no one ever thinks that even though it's changing now and women are uh-huh. but yeah definitely so that's how you overcame the fear so what were the responses to people um to what did people say when you said well i'm gonna do my own thing were they supportive were they curious were they like mm, mm-hmm. she'll be back <laughs> what did they yeah say? yeah um so i think what in general it's been all positive and what I have loved and what has warmed my heart are the people who are like this is what you're made for anyway and I you know that to me is it's it's encouraging um and at the same time it makes me work harder um I'm, I'm very type a you know as an individual as a personality type uh so i'm a hard worker no matter what but i definitely feel like i'm not just working for myself but i'm working to help other people too so for me that motivates me but um yeah, it's been positive feedback. And um, yeah, so I'm just curious even for myself to see where the journey takes me. Sure. Uh, and if, when I told my cousin, one of my cousins who I've always looked up to, and she did, you know, her, her she was an entrepreneur for a little bit right now. She's working at a company again, but she's, I think she's an entrepreneurial spirit no matter what. She mm-hmm. said, you'll be surprised to see where entrepreneurship takes you because sometimes you think the idea that will be the most lucrative it's not that and sometimes it's something that you stumble on by accident that becomes your real money maker it's true Uh, right yeah and and once Mm -hmm. you start people need to realize that even if you fail i mean i mean failure is the best feedback but even if you fail at that one thing it opens other doors for you so you end up going into something else and then you're successful at that. But she's right. You know, you start with one thing and then you end up doing something completely different. And you're like, whoa, this is, what I, this is not what I initially planned. But that's the journey, right? From, from mm-hmm. um, doing, doing corporate world to entrepreneurial. So do you miss having colleagues? I mean, I know you said you have two girls working for you. Do you miss that team environment? Because a lot of people talk about how that transition can be really lonely. You know, you're working in your house by yourself, or you go to like a shared workspace, but it's not the same as when you've got your corporate job and you have a team that you're with or managing. Is that hard? Has that been hard for you? No, (laughs) I love it. (laughs) You're like, no, I don't miss any of those people. Mm -mm." (laughs) Well, okay. So interesting. And I don't know if it's, I haven't gotten to that point yet. I don't know yet because I also haven't experienced winter in New York as an entrepreneur yet. Okay. Um, okay. Real winter. So I feel like I still get my social fix. And according to one of my mentors, I have a high social quota and I agree with him that I do have a high social quota, but, um, a part of my business is to network and to be social and to be, and to meet people. So I, and because I'm still leading uh, the New York chapter of NAMIC, I am constantly around people because one, I'm leading a team of 15. So I still have that like, you know, 
team environment, although we're not working in the same space, but yeah. we're still doing a lot of things together. Yeah. And a lot of the things that I'm working on, I'm also in constant like communication, whether it's by phone or meeting in person with people. Yeah. So I don't really miss that part. The one thing that I would say is different is that I don't have someone to bounce ideas off of because no one knows my business as intimately as I do. Mm. Whereas when you work for a team or you're on a team, then you transparency and communication is making sure that everyone is on the same page about where you are in certain projects and you're as a team coming together and like making decisions on next steps. And, you know, you have levels of approval because everyone needs to be well aware of, on how things are going to affect the bigger picture. Yeah. But I'm now creating the bigger picture, building for the bigger picture, ideating for the bigger picture. It's all me sometimes in my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, for sure, for sure. And what I write on paper, but I'm lucky to have um one of my best friends, Gabrielle. She is also a marketing brain and a creative. So I bounce ideas off of her. If I create something and I'm not too in love with it yet, you know, I share it with her and I ask her for her opinion. Um, so I'm lucky to have a really good support system. Um, again, you know, my husband is an entrepreneur, so I'm able to say, hey, like when I had to create like invoices or like uh, things like you know little things like that it's like hey what's the best process for this like what's the most mm. efficient process for creating invoices and he works from home sometimes so we're here working together so I think it's also strengthened our relationship because now right. we have that common thread and common like mentality of the hustle um, mm. but no otherwise I do not miss it nope <laughs> <laughs> yes no but that's good that's good that you have no regrets and we talked about a lot I mean you gave us your story how you got to where you are the transition you talked about how important it is to network developing new skills we focus on the fear I before we wrap it up I want to I want you to talk about your Afro Latina blog and this is so important to me because Myself coming from that part of the world, the Caribbean region, I always say, you know, like living here in China, people are like, where's the Caribbean? I'm like, Central America. <laughs> Just that part of the world. Please, yes. can, you, can you, for the people that don't realize this, there are Black people... <laughs> in all over Latin America and the Caribbean region, <laughs> not just in Brazil and Colombia. And um, please talk to the fact that there's Black people all over Central America and that even mm -hmm. though they're not visible, doesn't mean they're not there. Because I shared with you before mm -hmm. um, we got online when I was in university in uni and I would meet um, these people, yeah, my, my, my peers who would travel abroad and they would make these you know, comments like, oh, false comments. Oh, there, I, I was in Costa Rica or I was in Buenos Aires and there are no black people there. And I'm thinking in the back of my head, listen, all of these countries have black people. They're probably just not visible. They're not in the areas where you've been visiting, but they are there, okay? But at the time, I couldn't say that because I hadn't visited the country like they did and maybe I didn't have the confidence. But like mm -hmm. now, more black people from this part of the world are visible not just, you know, black people from, say, English, French, Spanish-speaking Caribbean. So can you please let the people know that there are black people yeah. all over, like, mm -hmm. Central and South America, and you are there, you are live, and your blog, mm -hmm. and what it's about. Please, please. Yes, please. absolutely. Yes. 
<laughs> so yes. the story of my existence on earth is yes, yes. You know, a big part of it has been growing up black and Latina. Right. And, you know, it's almost trending right now, which is so awful to say to be, or just uh, Afro Latinidad or uh, uh, the whole term Afro Latinas and Afro Latinos. Mm. because awareness is now just growing that it's a subculture uh to just you know uh, the latin like to be latin american in general mm. but yes so of course you know slavery uh and you know what the slave trade was um years ago um it led to africans you know coming to the caribbean into latin america and um, creating this Latin American uh, or Afro-Latin culture in um, Central America, in Honduras. I'm from Honduras, uh, Belize, Guatemala, El Salvador. If you go to countries like Panama, uh, mm. Colombia, um, uh, there's huge populations of Afro-Hispanics. Mm. Um, and I'm one of those people. And yeah. I decided to, um, to give birth to my blog. And it started out as a passion project years ago. So I think I, at this point in time, started the blog six years ago. And it started out as just like something that I was doing periodically just to, um, I think I was having a moment <laughs> yeah. um, where I probably had to explain why and how I was Latina to someone and be dark skin. Oh, um, but then I realized that there wasn't a place where you could go and see stories of other Afro Latinas or see just kind of maybe a lineup of Latinas. So um, especially me growing up as a kid, like I didn't really, other than, you know, my family and then other Garifunas, which, you know, my family knew it wasn't really a thing. No one used the term Afro Latina when I was five. And when I was, seven. it wasn't a thing back then, because I think, I think for mm -hmm. a long time, visibility has been an issue, but also self-identification. I think maybe it's the way black, you know, all black people don't identify the same way and not all black people walk around saying I'm Afro this or Afro that. And I think mm -hmm. that's been a part of it as well. So now that there's much more of a consciousness of, okay, I identify as Afro this or whatever. Now it's almost mm -hmm. like people are becoming more visible, right? You know? In yeah, the because there's a sense of pride now that's being exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, that 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 is being birthed, or you know, people are expressing because now people have something to call themselves. Because me, for example, growing up, um, I you know, my first language was Spanish. My English was awful, probably for the first few years of elementary school and that created a lot of insecurities because I didn't speak the language properly enough to be cool with the black kid with the African-American kids mm. um and but then I didn't look like the, and that's not yeah it wasn't my culture and then I wasn't you know I didn't look like the Dominican and, and Puerto Rican girls that were a part of my classroom so it was yeah. like wait I don't light really skin, fit anywhere light skin yeah like more I didn't, European I didn't, teachers yeah right. I didn't yeah. fit in. I didn't fit in anywhere. Um, yeah. And it, 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 you know, it creates these things and you it creates insecurity because you don't have, a, you don't fit. Um, yeah. And then once, you know, my English became really good because I looked the way that I looked, it became more comfortable for me to, I,
And, you know, I went through a period of time where I, you know, didn't want to talk Spanish. I didn't want to speak Spanish. And thank you to my parents because for them, it was like, no, we're talking to you in Spanish, respond in Spanish. So because of that, <laughs> you know, I was able to develop my Spanish, but it created this insecurity in me where I wouldn't even speak Spanish when I was a kid because it didn't feel like that was what I should be speaking. Like all of these things that as a kid, before you understand what's really going on, you know, you creating your head. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't until I was older that I embraced what it was and I wanted to be able to share those stories because these are internal struggles and things that like you can't really share with anyone unless they've gone through it as well. Yeah. And um, I think, I, you know, I think as like black people from the Caribbean, like in the U.S., for example, I think Americans are a little more, not completely, but a little more aware of us. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? But when it comes to Latinas, I think Americans, because of their media, you know, it's Latinas mm-hmm. are, are always portrayed as white, very European. Right. Yes. Uh, you, you don't Spaniard. always. You, yes. Mm-hmm. Spa- Spaniard. Exactly. You don't see the mestizos. You don't see the mulattoes. You don't see the mm-hmm. black, dark skinned black people. You don't see the Amerindians. So they mm-hmm. kind of don't know what to do with you when they meet you. And it's like, oh, Afro Latina. What's that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And even yeah. to this day, like we have friends who like probably even forget because I don't look like, you know, like I'm not very skinned Hispanic mm-hmm. that, you know, around me have talked about like you know latinas and hispanics and i'm like guys you're forgetting how i'm sitting here um you know and you know i i also have come across people who come from like you know middle america and they're like yeah we don't really have black black hispanics out here so you know being or knowing that Afro-Latinas or to be Afro-Latino is a thing, uh, they didn't become aware of it until they came to like New York or go to places like Miami um, Mm -hmm. or even Mm -hmm. come across people who are proud and identify and self-identify and use themselves to educate other people. But I think it's something that now it's, um, you know, people are becoming comfortable to talk about and it's something that now is is getting that level of exposure but Mm -hmm. six years ago when I started this blog it wasn't really a thing people are are proud now for a very long time there was no pride Mm -hmm. in saying you were African anything okay because for a long (laughs) it's true because for a long time we were taught that everything African was backwards and you know all that Mm -hmm. stuff so you just kind of blended in or you tried to look as European as Mm -hmm. you could or you didn't really identify like we know there's a a strong black consciousness in places like brazil and colombia but um Mm -hmm. even even in those countries like brazil having the largest black population outside of africa there are a lot Mm -hmm. of dark-skinned people in brazil who still you know they don't they don't have that consciousness and and that's fine you know how people choose to identify is fine but i think a big Mm -hmm. part of that is because of there's no pride in saying you're black Mm -hmm. like you're not gonna get you're not gonna get anything favorable for saying that you're black (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that's and that's changing now so and like we were saying the vice president of costa rica is a black woman and she identifies as afro latina so oh she is yeah to that to that girl in my i would never forget my international economics class who said oh there are no black people in costa rica yes they are wherever you are in the world i hope you know that now (laughs) there are black people in costa rica and here we have this i mean vice president of costa rica that's a big deal and here we have a very visibly black woman who identifies as black and 
it's, it's good to see the diversity in Latin America, whether it's Amerindian or mulatto, whatever it is. But um, I'm just glad that there are more Black people in Latin America Afri actually saying they're Afro-Latina. I think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Thing. Yep. The vice president of Costa Rica, um, Epsi Campbell, she is Afro-Latina. Yeah, definitely. And mm -hmm. having, and, and teaching other people that, you know, yeah, we have diversity in Latin America. We're not all blonde here, blonde mm -hmm. with, with eyes. And, and that's, that's a good thing. And even me being from the Caribbean for a long time, there were a lot of people who didn't say I was, Afro-Caribbean and I guess you don't have to say that when you grew up in the Caribbean but then okay. when you leave the Caribbean and you enter predominantly white countries your culture and your identity is challenged a lot and I think mm -hmm. you either become Afro-Caribbean or you blend in with the dominant culture depending on how right. you look you know and mm -hmm. yeah and people make that choice and and that's fine so yeah I just wanted you to speak to that and speak about your blog and and share mm -hmm. um what you write about there and what you're doing there so thank you so much for that mm -hmm. yeah, yeah thank you for the opportunity yeah yes. for a long time it was something that I was very shy to talk about yeah um and you know, through just being able to have the blog. Now it's something that other people have discovered. Yeah. And yeah, I, I'm, it's something that, yes, took time, but it's, it's something that's very much me and Good. something that I'm very much proud of. Brilliant. So where can we find, well, no, what parting words do you have mm -hmm. for our listeners who are all early stage women entrepreneurs um, like mm -hmm. yourself coming from developing economies or operating in developing economies who want to transition from their corporate jobs or just working for the man, you know, someone mm -hmm. <laughs> to working yeah. for themselves. What advice, what words of encouragement do you have for them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, we only get one life. I think it's very important to be intentional about how we want to live our life and, and how our lives and how we want to spend our time. I think that being purposeful is important, following your passions, following mm -hmm. your passion, but also knowing that um, opportunity meets preparation. So although we are passionate about certain things, we have a love for something, we may have talent. I encourage everyone to pursue their passion, but to also do the necessary preparation mm -hmm. uh, in order to give you that peace of mind to be even more successful. So follow your passions, but also do the work and prepare. Yes, preparation is key, isn't it? And where can we find you? And that's great advice, by the way. And where can we find you? Where are you, what are your websites? Yes. Where are you in social mm -hmm. media? And yes. email if you'd mm -hmm. like people to contact you or get in touch with you. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you can find me on my website, which is my first, uh, my first name and my last names. <laughs> Yes. So SandraGarciaLowry.com. And from that website, you can then go off to all of my other projects. You can see everything else that I'm doing as well as connect with me on social. Mm -hmm. uh, I am a big Instagrammer. So Sandy underscore Garlow, which is a mix of my Garcia Lowry last name. Um, but yes, I, you can also locate my email from there, but definitely if anyone wants to ask me anything, wants to connect with me, fly me to China so I can meet you in person. I yeah. would love to connect. <laughs> <laughs> I would love listen, to listen, fly listen. over to China. 
if I was a, if I was a baller like that, I'd fly so many people over to China, and we'd have one big ridiculous party. Seriously. And oh my just, god, and that just, sounds amazing. And just and just travel this and um, this vast mm-hmm. nation, and it's yeah, it's incredible. You gotta come to mm-hmm. China, but I know you're gonna get here. You're gonna come over here, and you're gonna see how amazing it is anyway. But um, yes. before you go, is there anything that you are looking for at the moment that you need help with that you want to collaborate mm-hmm. on or partner with that you would like to share to anyone with anyone? Mm-hmm. You never know who's listening in. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, if there is anyone out there who is looking for strategic marketing assistance for their business, uh, who's looking to plan out what the rest of their year is going to look like, how they're going to Uh, generate more leads, drive more sales, uh, get more, secure more clients through marketing, or if there is an executive out there who's looking to elevate their personal brand and needs assistance with self-packaging, I am that person. Let's connect. Awesome. Brilliant. Well, Sandra, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. This was such an enriching conversation. It was great to hear you speak of your transition. You definitely represent this community because you're only, you've started five years ago, yes, but in terms of full-time, you're only five, a few months in. And that's really what we're about, you know, the women who've just started, who are really, who are really in the beginning stages. So thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for all the work that you have done in terms of visibility for people like yourself who are from Latin America, who, who, you know, need to see people like you doing things like what you're doing. Visibility and representation is so important. So thank you for, for all that. Yeah. And just for being you. you. Thank you just for being you. So you are, you are appreciated. (laughs) thank you for this platform yes my pleasure so all right lovely ones that is it i hope you have learned something from sandra today i know i have i've been jotting down notes as i've been speaking and um to her and listening to her and you have all her details if you want to get in contact with her and until next time bye for now bye bye